Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Middle Way Mom Reads, <clears throat> where we dig into books that enhance and inform our homeschooling journey. I'm Shannon, a homeschooling mom since 2009 and a student of the Islamic sciences. I've been using the Charlotte Mason method since 2016. I'm hoping that this series helps more parents realize the value of the Charlotte Mason method in their homes. We're starting with the most classic book in the Charlotte Mason Method, the first book in her six-volume series titled Home Education. We'll work through the book together, inshallah. I will discuss highlights of the book without the assumption that you have read it yourself, but of course you'll gain a much greater understanding if you read the book as well. So today we're picking up back with the section called A Method of Education. Um, This one I think gives us the best view of how she sees um, how we even approach education. So she starts off with talking about kind of where we're at, right? The traditional methods of education. She says, the experience of our ancestors floating in a vast number of educational maxims is handed on from lip to lip. And few or many of these maxims form the educational code of every household. So this sounds a lot lot like, um, the sound bites that we have about our educational system, what success looks like, um, the aims of education, such as like <laughs> the question that every homeschooler gets, what about socialization? And I think that question is even more apt now after the pandemic, because <clears throat> when people thought that they were homeschooling, um, cause we were all forced home, um, they, they weren't socialized. Um, so a lot of people have this idea that that's how we lived our life before COVID, um, when that is not the case <laughs> at all. Um, and, but also the questions, how will they get into college? How will they get a job? Um, and we'll kind of explore this a little bit more in this section. But understanding that our culture plays a huge role in how we even see the what education looks like, what the ends are to education. We talked about previously, excuse me, we talked about previously um, how most of our our education system, the way that it's built right now, is built in a way to create employees or employers, right? But like within this capitalist system. And on the face, there isn't anything necessarily wrong with that. Except like, what's the driving force for me when I am looking to, when I'm looking to, when I, when I want to be an adult, right? When I'm like, what do I want to be when I grow up? Um, What's that driving horse force behind it? And, um, you know, Charlotte Mason, and then as uh, people of faith ourselves as Muslims, that driving force should be the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It should be how am I using my life in service of my creator? And they're like emanating from that in service of my community and so on and so forth. So it really, you know, a lot of times that might look like we end up in the same place, um, but it really does matter how we get there. Okay. So she goes on and says, The tradition of the elders have been tried and found wanting. It will be long before the axioms of the new school pass into common currency. And in the meantime, parents are thrown upon their own resources and absolutely must weigh principles and adopt a method of education 
for themselves. I really appreciated this, this piece of um, the traditions have been found wanting, especially when we see like major changes in curriculum. <clears throat> Many years ago, it was um, uh, Common Core was at the forefront. And now, um, oh goodness, and now the, the name is going to slip my mind. Um, but the the updating of history books and that's, you know, at the front lines of the national conversation now. So we see these major changes in curriculum, but then, you know, 10, 20 years later, we're still found with, okay, well, that's not exactly it. That's not exactly what we want. We still want to make some changes in this way and that way. So we're found with, you know, my personal opinion is as time goes on, we're giving more and more to the school to do where before it was like reading, writing, arithmetic, right? That's what the kids go to school for. And then they learn, you know, how to take care of themselves, how to do their taxes, how to do their laundry, so on and so forth at home. And, you know, as kids are spending more and more time at school, whether that's through extracurriculars or before and after school care and these type of things, we're expecting the school to pick up the slack to do more and more. Um, and she's saying that, and you know, as we're finding that there's elements that we're not okay with, or we're like, this isn't good enough, we have to pick up that slack. So um, she says, parents are thrown upon their own resources and absolutely must weigh principles and adopt a method of education for themselves. So this is, you know, even even if, um, you know, your children are going to private school or public school, there's still an element at home that matters, that it's not like education check done when they're, you know, they came home from school, now we're done with all that education bit. No, there's there's just as important, if not more important, education that's happening within the home, or at least the attitude or toward education and the method in which um, that's happening. So she goes on to give examples about um, how things have changed, um, mostly in the realm of parenting. So she gives some examples such as how the use of physical punishment has changed. Um, interestingly, when I was uh, potty training one of my kids, I picked up a book from the 70s because it's kind of like this no-nonsense uh, it kind of reminded me of like dog training, like, oh, if they sat on the toilet, give them an M&M. But it was also very effective. So I don't know. But in that book, it said, you know, and if you have to, you know, spank them a couple times, then that's what you have to do. And it was a very nonchalant way. Whereas in the 70s, it would be like, yeah, you know, that's, that's what we do. And now in 2020, like, that's not what we do. And even with my oldest who grew up in the early 2000s, that's, um, you know, it was kind of like an in-between place in, in terms of that, where it was like, well, some people do, some people don't. So you see this great change over 20 years, 30 years, um, and especially 50 years. And then she talks about, um, <laughs> again, it, I'll keep saying this, it's so interesting how many things she brings up and it's just super relevant today how we end up being short order cooks instead of like this is this is dinner you know um how we keep sh children sheltered from hardships such as cold and rain um and 
how children's wants and desires are center stage. Um, all of this she's saying is basically when we're following culture for our parenting advice, for our educational method, these type of things, um, you'll find that it's a moving target. And I will say for myself personally, I raised um, one child in the early 2000s and the rest of my children were born 2010 and after. There was a lot of unpacking that I had to do of parenting in, let's say, 2015 and saying, oh my gosh, this is the worst. And it's like, well, I did that in 2001, 2002, 2003. And this um, always looking back at, 10 years prior and thinking, wow, what an idiot we were. <laughs> and um, having to realize that this is just the nature of parenting, that every 10 years or so, there's this, oh my gosh, we have figured it out. We have found the best best way. And 10 years later, it'll be like, wow, that was, that was dumb. Um, so just having that forgiveness, if you're parenting children, um, through the decades, if you just have a couple children that are <clears throat> a couple years apart and then, you know, so you kind of stay in that one stage of being forgiving of people who are in different stages. So moving on, uh, she says at any rate, it is not too much to say that a parent who does not follow reasonably a method of education fully thought out fails now more than ever before, to fulfill the claims his children have upon him. So, and I like this, I like this phrase, the claims his children have upon him, the children have rights and we have responsibilities. As Muslims, we're, we are very aware of this. This is something that we talk about a lot, right? What are my rights? What are my responsibilities? And so this is a way for us to keep our eye on the big picture, um, that we have this method of how am I fulfilling my responsibilities and giving them their rights and having this big picture in mind of not just their rights and responsibilities in this moment, but how does this play in, in the grand scheme of things? You know, the classical example is a children, a child is running in the street. If I'm a parent who says, you know, I don't yell, well, I sure as heck yell in that moment. Um, so, their rights upon me in that moment are that I keep them safe. And what that requires is that I yell. So always kind of having this, having this big picture and not losing sight of that. And also this big picture of what am I, what am I teaching them? What am I um, training them for? And I know like in not our time right now, we, we don't use the word training because it's like dog training, but I mean, goodness gracious, you go to work and you're trained, you're trained on the job. So let's think of it that way when we use the word training here. Um, so what are we training them to do? What are we teaching them to do? Not just what keeps them from complaining. She goes on to say, uh, the section is called method, a way to an end. She says, method implies two things, a way to an end and a step-by-step, sorry, step-by-step progress in that way. Further, the following of a method implies an idea, a mental image in the end or an object to be arrived at. So again, this big picture, right? We have this um, long-term vision 
Um, and I will say this long-term vision sometimes is the biggest stumbling block to people starting to homeschool because they don't have it all figured out. They're like, how am I going to do math? Well, you'll, ch- you'll choose the math curriculum each year. How am I going to do, um, you know, for myself, grammar is something that I've never been fantastic at. Um, I had to take remedial English when I was in college. Uh, my grandma wasn't uh, awful, but you know, if you're a grammar nerd, you probably pick up on that my grammar is not fantastic. Um, so having, but understanding that it's not, oh my gosh, they got to college and they had to take remedial English. Like I'm pretty sure none of my English teachers are like rolling over in bed, can't sleep at night because I had to take remedial English. You, you have this method in front of them, in front of the child, and they walk along that path. And whether they pick up, you know, the tidbits of information along that way is really their responsibility. Um, But this method, this long-term vision should be um, the goals that you have, and that's going to help you pick curriculum, right? So as I'm looking at um, history books for this upcoming year, there's a couple where I'm like, well, this is super easy. All the information is in one book. Everything is self-contained. But for me, the goal is to create almost this movie in their mind of, of history, not just this happened on this date in this place. So we need to have that in mind, and that's going to help us along those shorter steps, making those finer decisions when we have that big picture goal, not just every detail figured out. I hope that helps. She goes on to say the parent who sees his way, that is the exact force of method to educate his child, will make use of every circumstance of the child's life almost without intention on his own part. So easy and spontaneous is a method of education based upon natural law. One example that I think is really apt for this is what do you do when you go on vacation? What do you do on your time off? When you have this method of education, everything from vacation to, um, we like to take a walk to the coffee shop. We'll bring like a card game with us. It's about a mile away. Um, and then along the way, what am I pointing out? What are we talking about along the way? All of these things have to do with the method of education that I have chosen, which is the Charlotte Mason method. So, you know, some of these things are going to pop up as we talk about this book. But how do you ask about their day? What are the things that you point out when you guys are out and about? Um, All of these things will start to become second nature and they'll start to move you along that path Without you like sitting down and writing in your planner, I'm going to talk about, um, (laughs) this is a little gross, but one of the things that we found on this walk to uh, the coffee shop is there was a raccoon that had died. And over the course of weeks, you see the changes in that raccoon. Um, and now, now that winter has come in spring and it's thawed out and I don't know exactly what happened, but now there's bones, um, all of these, yes, it's gross. No, there were not maggots. <laughs> like all of this is, um, 
kind of checking some boxes where then when we're reading our nature study, I get to say, oh, remember when the, you know, the bo- we saw the bones. Why do you think just the bones were there, right? And we get to talk about decomposers and all of these type of things. This is the method of education that even when we're not sitting down and doing book work, there are things that we're doing that are working to that end. Okay, so now she's going to kind of flip us to the other side and talk about a system instead in contrast to a method. And it starts with the heading, a system easier than a method. She says, a system of education is an alluring fancy, more so on some counts than a method, because it is pledged to more definite, calculable results. So this is similar to understanding education is more of an art than a science, whereas a system is a science of education, whereas a method is going to be the art of education. Um, She defines system as the observing of rules until the habit of doing certain things, of behaving in certain ways is confirmed, and therefore the art is acquired is so successful in achieving precise results that it is no wonder there should be endless attempts to straighten the whole field of education to the limits of a system. Uh, (laughs) There's a joke that goes around in homeschooling circles that we don't know how to stand in a straight line. And (laughs) there's been a couple instances where that rings true with my own children. (laughs) I'm like, okay, we need to stand in this line, you know, and it's like to wait to get on, you know, the bus or something and the bus isn't even here. And my kids are like, well, why? (laughs) The bus isn't even here. But this is the, and I've had some of the school kids or school parents looking at us like, oh my gosh, you can't even stand in a straight line. But like this, um, this giving value to this behaving in certain ways, um, this precise result When what we're doing right now is we're taking a step back and asking ourselves, do they have to be able to do that? And if they do, do they have to be able to do that at that time? She goes on to say, but the educator has to deal with a self-acting, self-developing being and his business is to guide and assist in the production of the latent good in that being, the dissipation of the latent evil in the preparation of the child to take place in the world at his best with every capacity for good that is in him developed into a power. If it wasn't for the sake of time, I would read this again, but like it is really powerful. There's a lot of phrases in her books that I find myself, I stop and I read it again and I read it again in part because she uses words that we don't necessarily use anywhere anymore, like the production of the latent good, right? The good that is sitting in them just waiting to be called out or not called out because that would be taken out, but will, um, the good that is, that should be brought to the surface. And then the dissipation of the latent evil, right? All of us have this, um, ability for good and evil. Are we bringing the good to the surface and dissipating the evil? And I would say, I have this conversation in the halakas that I do, the little e evil, right? It doesn't have to be Hitler level evil. We're talking about like littering, you know, when I'm done with my food, I throw it out the car window and, you know, these type of things. Um, this We have um, this method of education 
should be working with the individual. And that doesn't mean centering them necessarily. That means that we are acknowledging that Hafsa might not read until she's in second grade. And we're going to keep working with her and recognize that that's, that's where she's at. But she might be able to tell you a beautiful story of her own words, or she might be able to listen to a book and recite it back to you in the utmost detail. Whereas Bilal might be able to read in kindergarten, but he really has to work on that habit of attention. This is where we're understanding um, this self-development of the individual, where we're presenting the same information and accepting that they're going to be at different levels and they're going to get there when they're ready. She goes on for the next page to make the case that is um, that a system is much more alluring and simple to follow than a method, but this doesn't work toward that growth of the vibrant human. So basically the same paragraph that we just read and she goes on in further detail. Um, what's really interesting, before I started this recording, I was very curious. I know that there's talk about how the U.S. education system um, does not score very well. What I was, what I found very interesting was we have the best system, you know, whatever metrics they used. I'm not, I didn't dig too far, right? This was like a five minute Google search with, you know, I went to like pewresearch.org or whatever, right? Like, you know, reputable sites. But what was super interesting is we have the best ranked system in the world, but the scores of our students are very mediocre. So we have all what looks like all the ingredients to having beautifully educated children. But when it comes down to like what they actually know and the, um, you know, what they talked about in a couple of these articles was outsourcing for IT, right? Um, I come from the IT world. And so like our math scores in particular are very mediocre. And so these IT jobs that pay mashallah very well, and you live in these in California, beautiful California, you can have whatever opinion politically about California, but it's mashallah, beautiful place. Um, and people from the United States are not necessarily getting those jobs because their math scores aren't good enough, but we have this amazing system. So she recognizes that this might sound daunting to work with a method instead of a system. She goes on to say, this is a reasonable objection enough if one looks upon education as an endless series of independent efforts, each to be thought out and acted out on the spur of the moment. But the fact is that a few broad essential principles cover the whole field, and these once fully laid hold of is as easy and natural to act upon them as if as it is to act upon our knowledge of such facts as that fire burns and water flows. My endeavor in this and the following chapters will be to put these few fundamental principles before you in their principal bearing. Meantime, let us consider one or two preliminary questions. What I want to point out with this is, you know, in um, Islamic legal theory, we have the idea of legal maxims. <clears throat> so th these are phrases that basically sum up um, 
legal principles within Sharia. So one is um, hardship begets facility. So when you are sick, you can pray laying down or pray sitting up. When you are traveling, you can combine your prayers. When you are pregnant, um, you know, if it would be too much of a hardship for you, you do not have to fast. So this one phrase, hardship begets facility, helps us to understand many um, specific, many specific rulings in the Sharia. So she is saying, if we understand these maxims, these educational maxims, it will help us to understand or to make these smaller decisions um, in our day-to-day life. So she will continue going through that a little bit later. Um, first, what she, here we go. Um, the next section that we're going to talk about is the child's estate in offending the children. Um, so we'll just continue talking about the setting, right? We're kind of, we're setting the stage for us to understand, okay, what is, and especially since this was written a hundred years ago, it's really good for us to understand the context in which she's speaking. So we can, if something seems a little bit off that we can, we can understand that context and then adjust that to our modern day. So just as a reminder, you will gain added benefit by reading the book yourself. You can find it at most of your favorite retailers, um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, those type of things. You can also find a link to it in the description of this video or this podcast, depending on where you're listening to this. You can find me online as Middle Way Mom on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. On Instagram, I'm I'm most active there. I share our day-to-day homeschooling life there as well. If you have any questions that you would like me to answer, you can email those to Shannon. That's S-H-A-N-N-E-N at middlewaymom.com. Again, that's Shannon, S-H-A-N-N-E-N at middlewaymom.com. I would love to answer your questions. Inshallah, in the future, I do plan on doing a live on Instagram um, or maybe YouTube. We'll see. We'll see (laughs) where technology pushes me. Um, but I want to thank you so much. And inshallah, I will talk to you next time. Assalamu alaikum.